back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here, Tom Jacobs. How are we doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm just realizing that I'm always a lot closer to the camera than you are, and that's probably unfair on the YouTube viewers. Um, you know, the spectacular background that you've got there, the, the, the lovely face and hair of yours. And, and We've done a lot to our house, if you've noticed, week over week. We have a lot of makeovers. The the, the renovations you have in, uh, in, in Florida are amazing. So, uh, yeah, if I ever move to the States, that'll be where I go. But... Um, just guys, it's, it's it's that part of the season now where you have to truly be uh, a DP World Tour fanatic to enjoy this. Um, we are at the Mallorca Open this week, the Portugal Masters next week, and then we get some really fun events, the, 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 the final two weeks of the season, right? But like these next two weeks, especially if you're like a guy that likes to keep track of people making their cards and stuff like that, like the next two weeks are vital. But other than that, like we could see some pretty lackluster fields. Yeah, I mean, last week was uh, a tale of two stories in the sense of, you know, Adrian getting over the line, dominant win, unbelievable on the weekend, um, really good to see, you know, always have been. I mean, uh, there wasn't the controversy anticipated because he wasn't a full-time live guy, right? Like, no. so it just kind of got blown over very quickly in that sense. Uh, so it didn't feel the same way as if, like, Gooch won an event, for example. But, um <laughs> But, you know, so it was great to see for Adrian because I've always been a fan. There was some talk about he was a little bit overlooked on social media. Yeah, uh, by, which, West, by Westie. Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't actually, I mean, I didn't pay much attention full stop because once he kind of built a six-shot lead, you know, I was kind of disinterested. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> he got he got the, you know, the coverage on the TV and they're all very fanatical about how he'd done and, you know, I think he got the props that he deserved. So I don't think there was too much in it, really. Yeah. Little bummer that the win-only selections on my end, you know, Min Woo and Smith, yeah. were right around there, you know, third or fourth and sixth, like, you know, in places in normal weeks with a little bit deeper of odds. Um, disappointed Min Woo's weekend, you know, thought, again, course that would fit, game that would fit. Just didn't, uh, didn't come through. But it, to the second part, go ahead, go ahead. It's promising for people that like Mimou Lee, like yourselves, and uh, and me, you know, to an extent, like, that he's put back-to-back -back weeks together. Like, that doesn't happen too often for him. So, like, although it's in slightly lesser fields and he's stayed in Spain, etc., like, it is a promising sign. So maybe something to keep an eye on for these last couple of events. I don't know if he's playing in South Africa, but he'll definitely be at the, the DP World Tour Championship. Yeah, and he played well uh, in Dubai, I believe, uh, in the past, too. So we've bet him, I think, at those events. So I'm uh, excited for that. But the, the second part of the story, to your point of tracking cards and people that are going to qualify, um, you know, Angel Hidalgo um, last week, you know, that was just as big of an emotion reaction, if not bigger, you know, for yeah. him securing his DP World Tour card, you know, his goal number one for him getting up on the year. So we're, we're coming to card season right now. What, three regular season events remaining to make sure you are in inside those rankings? Um, and, like, a ton on the line of made cut. Actually, a made cut normally isn't guaranteed points uh, when it comes to races. you got to get, like, a top. It's just not as many points. you got you got to play well. If you're sitting outside the number, you got to play well. A lot more on your mind. Is that an extra chip of motivation? Is it even more difficult to win when you're facing it, when the back's against the wall? I thought Ben wrote a really good introduction, uh, Ben Coley, to his piece this week, saying it's difficult for some of the favorites to, to look beyond the favorites this week in, in some retrospect because all of them are playing freely, right? They don't have that same stress of having to get a card, having to play well. Their years are decided ahead, and it's just another week for them when, you know, 
potentially also could it be an extra motivation and you see the performance like Hidalgo had for his best of the year so excited for that um, kind of dig both ang- angles um, as we go to a you know a brand new course right we haven't seen this course outside of a, a senior tour event um, San Muntanar oh, gosh that was awful San Muntanar sounds, sounds um, fun to me yeah golf club you know the the Malar- oh my gosh Malarca wow how can I get that Mallorca the, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can never double L it. Mallorca Golf. Um, so I think, you know, for us, the Mallorca Golf Open, San Montaner. There we go. That, that rolled That's off it. the tongue better. That's good. Um, you know, first time course for us. So you never really know. It looks resorty. It looks, you know, something where when we get in that type of angle, we saw it um, on the Canary Islands when we had courses we hadn't really seen. We got low scoring. We had, you know, deep into the 20s uh, for, for those guys. That seems like it could play out this week. Do you have any initial thoughts? So me and Brad were speaking about this last night on the podcast, and it was more like he, he said that everything that he'd kind of read was reviews of people saying that you can get in trouble, you can go out of bounds, the water could be an impact. But I said the trouble is with those reviews is they're generally coming from handicap golfers or mm-hmm. high-level you know players, but not pros, right? And I think once you get a pro there, it's completely different. And I'm so done with seeing like balls drop into the rough at US Opens and people saying it's going to be like six over par and it's actually like 15 under like it just it just doesn't happen right so i think when you look at last season i think it was 15 under par that jeff winter won the mallorca open and i think although the courses are not similar in any way i don't think like i think that's probably a decent score to aim for so i, I think 15 under is probably the right track um interesting point on the cards right like i think to your point you said it can go kind of one or two ways and i think that's really true that one, we kind of spoke about Hidalgo before we come on, that like, will that free him up to a better performance? Will he have burnt all that energy trying to keep it last week? And then I think about one of my selections later on that I sort of come on to, that like, he's known for going on birdie runs. When you're trying to keep your card or trying to secure your card, do you play really conservative golf, you know, to get through to the weekend and then hit it over the weekend, hit the gas pedal and, and try and, you know, make those birdies? And does that change the way you play? Like, it, there is a, a massive, you know, because some people just have styles. Like, you know, one of the people that we're going to come on to at the top of the board, like, just makes birdies in bunches, right? Like, it's just all he does. He goes on resort courses, makes birdies in bunches, and if he can't do that, he's pretty much a non-factor. Um, and I, just, I don't know. But I think once, once a card comes into it, it definitely does change things. So, you, you know, you've got Q score and things like that. But it, it's, yeah, I, I think it is going to change a lot. So, Portugal more so next week, but certainly into their minds this week. Yeah, and it's almost like you'd rather have a guy well off the number than yeah. like right on the number, right? Right on the number feels like you would lean conservative. Well yeah. off, 100%. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta win. Something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of that that in between. Um, and you know, to that, I think we can kind of transition over into what the odds board looks like. Um, yep. So you know, top of the board. Um, we have Rasmus 12 to one now down to, I think he might've opened a little bit deeper than that. Fox 16, Adrian, uh, Otewa coming back 20 to one, Eddie Pepperell 25, Manzel 27, Yannick 28, um, are all the golfers sub 30. Now, if we mention kind of the angle, you know, resort courses, we've seen like, I think of what, you know, what Higo did, you know, when he got kind of lined up there in the Canary Islands when, and when he was in fire form. Does Rasmus have that in his realm of outcomes? Does Ryan Fox have that, you know, when, when he does? I mean, those guys hit it long. They score well. They get birdies. Um, you know, I, you can't really argue 
with, with some of that. I mean, Eddie doesn't maybe fit that. Eddie and Adrian maybe don't fit those builds, but played exceptional year in, year out. And then Manzo and Yannick kind of fall into a similar category. I definitely had a debate on Rasmus because we've seen some, some excellent golf out of him. Uh, but I just have too much interest in, in deeper down the board and with some places to, to really uh, plant a flag up here. And maybe last week is a little inducing because got a couple there in the mix. Don't get any returns and a win onlys. But uh, I'm happy to still skip over this range and kind of fill in the next. What about yourself? Yes, yeah, so for me, I think that it won't be any surprise that Yannick Paul obviously got a look for me again. But I couldn't go there. Like, I think I I've sort of said to you maybe before about Heather Kield and stuff like eventually like you're betting on the upside of it, but you do eventually have to kind of not give up because, you know, you'd feel stupid to give up and not be on them again. But like if it happens, it happens. Like at 28 to one, if, if Yannick Paul wins this week, then fine. Like I've been yeah. on him at 45 to one, been on him at 80s one, been on him at 100s one. Like it's, you know, the talent is there. We know that it can go out into a bigger price and we'll wait for that to happen. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think he was close. And I actually think Ategi could go back to back. Like, I don't think it's the perfect golf course for him. And I think if he had gone um, that, what he'd done at Valderrama and then on to the Open Espana, I think I'd be a lot more inclined to do it because I think it was a bit more kind of suited to what he was, you know, playing to. But, um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why he can't play well. Then, of course, you've got Eddie Pepperell, who's sustained this ball striking form for, for such a long time. Um, so there was obviously definitely interest in all of those guys. I don't think any of them I, I felt that I'd brought out. Maybe Richard Mansell, just because, you know, I like to pick on Richard Mansell. But, um, yeah, I, I think that the, the top of the odds board is, is what it is for a reason. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a mental hurdle. Like, sub 30 to 1 is when I have to really take a reality check and be like, can you move forward still on guys who felt highly? Because Yannick played well last week, right? Yannick yeah. continued to see that. And he's deserving to be priced where he is. But... I think you can make that argument that there are definitely, uh, you know, a little bit down the board. Now, one has been bet down a decent amount, but um, that, that fit what we're looking for when you need to birdie in the way it does. And, and you're coming off uh, with the first selection here, so I'll let you uh, open on your next uh, pick here. Yes, yeah, so for me, like, we talk about birdie fest, and the person I was kind of referencing earlier was Andy Sullivan. Like, this guy is, he's just the epitome of that. And, I apply the same kind of logic to Andy Sullivan's I do Matt Wallace. You know, when everyone kind of says like Andy Sullivan's this like really winning this kind of golfer on the DP World Tour, he wins all the time. And they said the same about Matt Wallace. It all came in one year, really. Like it was 2015, he had an extraordinary year, got himself onto the Ryder Cup team. But the last two wins he's had have been by seven and nine strokes. And like he can just completely dominate an event if he gets going. And the way he's been striking the ball recently suggests that that's coming back again. Um, you know, you, you look at the Portugal Masters by nine strokes in 2015. Um, the English Championship 2020 wins at 27 under by seven strokes from Adrian Ategi. So one that kind of suggests that Adrian Ategi can go low, which is, you know, backs up that kind of point we were just making. But also, um, just at Sullivan, when he gets in with a chance, can really, you know, go low. So last week he was fifth in strokes gain approach and um, and strokes gain off the tee as well. And that was his second top five effort in both categories over the past five starts. And if you remember rightly, you obviously do. Um, at the BMW, he was right up there. Um, it was only really the um, in France where he withdrew, didn't he, after, after a really poor start. But he's kind of... Been... Pretty sure I bet him in France too. <laughs> yeah. And I think we definitely spoke about him, if not I bet him as well. Like because he's got a really good record there and he he's a good player for that type of course. I know I said that he pursues a birdie fest, but there are certain courses he can do it as well. So for me, it's 
he's like a hundred and ninth, I think it is on the on the race to buy rankings, and one hundred and seventeen is the current cutoff. So I don't think I don't know if he needs a card. I think he does. I think he does need to keep his card, but also more so from that he needs to get into the dp world tour championship like he plays well in the middle east at times and that's much more what he expects so um i think he's the type of person that can kind of win here or contend here and then win at portugal um, and really boost himself up that field so for me the, the price wasn't great like the, the kind of 31 number isn't isn't amazing um but the ball striking has been superb and if it's a resort course i think it's going to be then andy sullivan fits that bill yeah yeah you can't you can't argue with with waking up and seeing him nine under through 13 holes um like it feels like it happens quite often uh with so seven over three four as well many. yeah yeah true true um and it's an interesting point too about valderrama um and we said this a- after the offer downhill links too is like you love to see a guy play well it just yeah. is you know uh icing on the cake but valderrama brings in a whole different element of like you know on the standard deviation i mean the best player in that field by far missed the cut right and you can say it's golf right but also at the same time like it's valderrama too that that really amplifies that are you looking at maddie fitz any different this week at palmetto because of what he did last week at valderrama no and also alfred dunhill links when we had the weather conditions when we had everything acting up um it's almost like two of the last three events is like man like do you do you even really worry about those if anybody played played poorly at them? Um, so I think you I think, you can kind of make the argument both ways. I think as long as they've shown something in recent weeks, like Vander Armour is just its own unique test. Like the fact that Andy Sullivan finished eleventh there is huge, and I, I think it actually correlates to the fact that the scoring was a lot lower than we don't we, we normally get Vander Armour. Like I think the fact yeah. that you know what, you know take got to what nineteen under whatever he got to like that doesn't doesn't happen to Vander Armour. So or 16 or whatever it was that he got to um but the fact that andy sullivan can go under par at valderrama means that the kind of course conditions have changed a little bit um but yeah just a bonus like an 11th place finish is probably the peak of what andy sullivan does there um so the, the, that is just a building block for me um but look, to your point like if someone's missed the cut at valderrama um no great shakes it, it is what it is same thing with Douglas links yep yep amen um next up for us both uh, on the list, and I would say another popular selection across the industry is Nikolai Hoygaard. Um, and it's interesting because clearly, you know, him and Rasmus have had an incredible, you know, run over the past couple of years, setting themselves up to be a, a brother duo potentially on the Ryder Cup. You know, that, that can, that's a real outcome that could happen with one of them taking off a little bit more than the other. However, you know, Nikolai stands here with two victories and is it deserving of triple, quadruple, I guess triple right now, the price? I don't know. I mean, the strike rate still isn't that far off um, in, in theory there. And, you know, the the flashes, I guess there's just a, there's not that same consistency, right? We don't have a top 20 since Spain in May for, uh, you know, Nikolai. His win came basically around sandwich by miscut galore but then yeah. he closed out 2021 in an incredible degree so it's just something where i think we're trying to pick a spot for nikolai and I, and I couldn't really dream up a better spot when it comes to this type of course the birdies he puts in 
and the price. I, I think Nikolai kind of fits those bills, even at 35s. Uh, I'm still willing to go there uh, being a Tuesday when a Monday morning, if you woke up at Nikolai, he's probably 10 points deeper, but yeah. still very much interested here because he's somebody who can overpower this with anybody on tour. Yeah, and just really like you, Rasmus has got one more win and he's been in contention. It's not so much the wins difference between those two. Like, it's the fact that Rasmus turns up most weeks and plays well, whereas Nikolai can just miss the cut or contend. Like, that's just kind of what he is. But when you look at Nikolai's wins, like he won the Italian Open last year and it was against Tommy Fleetwood and Adrian Moronk. And then he wins the Raz Al Kaiman Championship by four strokes this year, like in really strong fashion over Jordan Smith. Whereas you look at Rasmus Hoygaard and, you know, don't want to take anything away, but there were playoff victories against, you know, Paratori and Rosner, which is good in Mauritius, but, you know, Justin Walters, who's found it difficult to kind of win. And he shot a final round 63 at Kranz to beat Bernd Wiesberger, who kind of like binned it into the water, whatever it was that he did that week. So, you know, not to take it Ooh. away from Rasmus. Who beat Rasmus uh, recently when he like had that really good first round and then he played good on Sunday? I think it was in France. Who who won that event? Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, the the, the Italian guy. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, yeah, um, that but, rings a bell. But you know what I mean? Like, I think I, I don't think he's as bulletproof as his consistency suggests. So I think they're both kind of similar in contention. Um, and I think very much like we've had this discussion multiple times since we started this podcast, like how much of a difference is there in terms of talent between Nikolai and Rasmus? And if you go back to college, I think Nikolai was actually the higher touted player. Like it, he's, he just shouldn't be the, the three times a prize. Like if you look at, you know, you point out the fact he hasn't been in the top 20 for a long time, and that is definitely true. He's had three missed cuts and nothing better than 27th over the past two months. But, 27th Italian Open, he was 12th after round one, 11th after round two, and that was in his title defence. He was 12th at the halfway point in France, and, you know, neither of those golf courses are particularly, I mean, obviously Italy, he's one of them, but, like, France isn't particularly suitable. Valderrama definitely wasn't suitable, so to get four ends under his belt there is great. And he led the um, the field in strokes going off the tee last week at Valderrama, which is huge. So now you open up the fairways, you, you give it... it if it is difficult and we, we've misjudged the golf course, then it's a bad bet, probably. But if it is the resort course that we hope it is, then he's going to sort of tear it up. Yeah, I mean, that, that first victory uh, earlier this year was a course where distance was premium. Yeah. And, you know, he took advantage. So you, you're, you're taking the shot on your research being um, to that degree. So, yeah, I am I am with you um, on Nikolai. I think... I think I'm next on the odds board here um, where uh, we're going. And it's somebody who, to me, has had a relatively sneaky last six weeks. Yeah, I would classify the last six weeks for him um, to be in the degree and where he's at now. And it's Louis Dieger. Louis yeah. Dieger. Um, I mean, when you look at distance, when you look at somebody who plays well off of the tee, I just... He, he's every single week, he's really finding himself, you know, to be near the leader of, of off the tee. I mean, you look at three out of the last six events, I believe he's gained over a stroke per round uh, when it comes to that. And, you know, his last, his worst finish, he missed in France. And I don't expect France to be a course that Louis, Louis Dieger would, would find it in front of him. Outside of that, you look in the third, ninth, 41st, 22nd, 6th. Last week, 60th at Valderrama. Again, if you're looking at an off-the-tee specialist, it's probably not the best fit in that. However, after the first run, I believe he was sitting in eighth place last he week. Yep. Um, so, 
you know, Louis has shown a consistency as of late. And I mean, he, he was somebody who I think from a talent perspective, we've had eyes on, you know, for, for a decent amount of time, just hasn't really broke through. I mean, he plays well when he pops down to the Sunshine Tour always. Um, yeah. I think his last victory was in the Sunshine Tour back in 2019, um, had won at the closeout end of 18, um, just basically dominated that tour. We've seen a lot of those guys uh, have really done well in the pop-up for certain events on the DP World Tour. And that's what he's basically has done, right? And uh, I just think he does have that upside. I do like somebody who has won in the past, who has that to his degree. And the number is pretty suiting when I look at players who I think are in decent form. I mean, the, the longest that we see De Jager, uh currently right now is 50 to one over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So I think that's fair enough for somebody who has shown definite form, I think fits the bill when it comes to course uh, that we're going to set out for this week. Um, and it's kind of showing that form. So I, I like Louie quite a bit this week. I've had eyes on him for about a month now, and it feels like a good spot to go in. It's interesting because my perspective of Louis Diego is that he's kind of this fiddly golf course, doesn't hit it that far type player. And, and you know, you've kind of said it's the complete opposite, right? And when you look at his kind of record, he, yes, he does play well in South Africa and all those places. I think he does play well, but Mauritius, he was fourth where, you know, distance can obviously help you out there. The Czech Masters, he was third this year. Um, the European Open, he was 12th, or again, like um, the Porsche European Open, where, you know, the, the kind of distance comes into play as well. So English Championship and Hero Open, he was 14th. Portugal Masters, he was 14th. So when you're given these kind of wide open resort layouts, he actually does pretty well. So um, a different skill set to kind of what I thought Luis Diego was. And I think if I'm thinking that, and, and not to say that I know everything, but like if I'm thinking that, and I think a, a lot of other people would probably think the same thing. Like he's a South African and he doesn't really, you know, dominate anywhere. Like he, you know, and maybe that's why he's the price that he is. Because it, if this was in South Africa, he'd be 20 to 1. And for sure. And and that's just obviously he's got a better chance than in South Africa, but is it three times as likely? No. So it, especially the field, you, you consider it. So. I don't think we should just overlook him just because he's playing in Spain. Like he's played pretty well in Spain. Yeah, I would put him, I mean, he's probably top five realistically uh, in this field when it comes to distance. Let's see. Yeah, they have, so Wilco, Nikolai, Manzo, Fox, Rasmus, and then next up to that is Louis um, with an actual sample size. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty sneaky um, when you look at that. I mean, off the T rankings, he's he's, you know, strong off yeah i think it's a a sneaky fit um but for louis over the last three months he's played 37 rounds he averages 317.7 yards off the tee so he's yeah. a completely different golfer than really i've kind of given him credit for um and that's that's great i mean it's certainly someone i'd be be interested in. i mean he's actually above by like 0.7 of a stroke but he's he's, he's above hoygaard nikolai hoygaard in terms of distance so um, he's right between the two brothers. So, yeah, I think that's great. Um, and he's normally a good putter. And that's what I like, too. You kind of have the combination of maybe at these courses, somebody who can mash it and somebody who can putt it. Like, like that that player wins. It's just like a simple fact because Nikolai and, and Rasmus have that ability. Cam Champ wins out of nowhere because he has that yeah. ability. Like, I think I think that skill set is a, a sneaky skill set that can just play at certain spots and you can take it deep because you're going to have to putt this week. We, that's what we're thinking. Yeah. And and I think, I think around the green game gets overlooked because it's something that you can't really like rely on, you know, like putting, we always say so far as so around the green game is like 
his numbers haven't been great, but I imagine that he gets punished a little bit because of the distance and stuff like that. So, like, I think, yeah, the more you kind of talk into Louis Diego, the more I'm interested. So, yeah, kind of a, an awakening of kind of what I thought Louis Diego was and what he is. So, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Cool. So that's um, next on the list. Is it, I got somebody who's, I think they're down to 66 to 1. Anybody for you um, in this range as well, or should I tee it up next? Uh, you can go next, but I've got okay. one that's kind of 70 to 1. So. Yep, perfect. Okay, so next, which is very funny and kind of ironic, I think, uh, in the way that I'm going to go after saying what I'm saying about Louis Dieger, because to push the chips all the way in on a course that maybe we don't know all, everything about is risky. And we've done ourselves, you know, sometimes you hit, sometimes you're, you're all over and it's the only way it's going to play out. But regardless of that, if you look kind of at the, the lead in form and the statistics of Darius Van Driel, um, I, I think it's, it's a shorter number than I probably anticipated personally. But I really like what I saw over the last two weeks, you know, an eighth, the Open to España, and then 19th last week at Valderrama. And I would put Van Driel up there pound for pound, probably with the more accurate, if not most accurate golfers that are on, on the, the DP World Tour, in my opinion. I mean, if you look at him from kind of like a last 50 round perspective, let's see, if you look at accuracy, he would be, yeah, I guess he ranks about 12th. In, in that unweighted accuracy. And um, that's kind of his name of the game over overall, I would say, is you're just going to trust he's going to be in the fairway every single time. But he's still able to gain a substantial amount on the field off the tee. I mean, he hasn't lost. Uh, he lost to the field at, at the Open Day France. Outside of that, he hasn't lost to the field off of the tee since the Porsche European Open. In between there, he has had five top 25s. Um, including the last uh, two weeks that we mentioned there. And his irons flash the best that they have all season, pretty much since the Dutch Open, which was in May, and he missed the cut there. So kind of a trend coming in. I just kind of really like that. Again, if you see corollary Spanish, not corollary, but location type of results, don't think it's a bad thing um, to kind of put a feather into the cap there. He did uh, play well when we were at the Canary Islands. Uh, he had an eighth place there. Um, last year, which was one of his better finishes. Um, he's also right on that line for, for a, a card right now, which is a little shocking when you look at his year, because sometimes you see guys on the PGA Tour that end up uh, getting through because of one or two finishes, and I feel like Van Driel has had that, um, but he is literally the guy on the line right now um, when it's uh, guys who are going to get tour cards. So a ton to play for for Van Driel, 66 to 1. Um, I'm in. Yeah, and I think it's wise to not go in all in on, you know, we saw it in France, right? Like we decided what, I think it was France where we decided what we wanted from a golfer and it, and it didn't turn out yep. that way, right? And, you know, it it happens and you kind of, you do have to draw a line in the sand of, way of what you want to do. But if you're making four or five selections, let's have one that kind of gives you the chance to take the other side of that. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly think it's a wise choice. Um I was a little bit like put off by the price. I, I thought that he he was shorter than you know, Darius Van Driel should be, but like that's more of a if you put a label over his name, you'd probably be absolutely fine. So it, it just depends yeah. how you view it. Yep, yep, I'm cool with that argument. All right, up to you. So Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez is is someone that again a little bit of a, a sticker shock in terms of the price this week. I, I will admit, but 
I think that's a theme all the way along with me, really. Like, Sullivan was a little bit shorter than I wanted him to be. Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez is a little bit shorter than I wanted him to be. Like, you're just going to have to take it because it's the Mallorca Open and we're in a field where there's no one really here. So, um, for me, seven of the last nine times he's played in Spain, he's made the cut, uh, which is, you know, a pretty substantial effort for someone of his calibre. Uh, 24th, 6th and 15th for the last three weeks in strokes game, tee to green, 21st, 14th and 38th in approach. He's playing some really nice golf. And if you go back to last year, he was fifth in this event, um, which is actually his third best performance uh, ever, according to the OWGR rankings. Um, he played really well that week and didn't really get much out of it. Like because Jeff Winter had shot that, I think he shot two 62s that week. Um, Jeff Winter, I think he opened in, with, a, with a 62 and, and shot one on the Saturday as well. And it, you could just see that he was pushing. I think he was five shots back after round two, had to push. He was six going into the final round back and all that sort of stuff. But what I liked about him is he never really lost uh, composure. He kind of stayed there all week. So I think that there's more from uh, more coming from Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez to suggest that he can, whether he can win or not is is up for debate. But like he was fifth at the halfway stage at the Italian Open. Uh, he was 22nd at the halfway stage in France. He was 11th after 54 holes at the Dunhill Links. He was 13th after 54 holes and 36 holes at the, the Open de España. And then he was 14th last week um at Valderrama where he's fifth after round two so he's been basically in contention or you know in and around the top 10 for the last five weeks and just hasn't been able to get the job done is that a is that a sign that he's just not good enough and you know that's definitely potential but like you go back to the ISPS hander he was fifth after round one like he, he's definitely the type of guy that can get himself in the mix and probably a first round leader bet like I know, I know we've had those kind of conversations uh, in the past I think that is his game um, and he was the one when I was talking at the start, like, will that change the way he plays in the sense that he's got to keep his card? Like, he's 115th in the world ranking, in the DB Tour world rankings, and 117 is a cutoff. So he is, you know, if Van Drill's on the border, 117, Garcia Rodriguez, you know, we could see a pretty fascinating thing between the two of those over the weekend that, yeah. you know, can he still do what he does, which is go lights out and just hope he makes a score and hangs around? Or will he have to be conservative and then shoot over the weekend? It's, it could go into his mind. I, I don't know what type of attitude he has. Um, but to me, that strikes me as something that could potentially weigh in. So that would be the one negative. But otherwise, I think he's he's got a great shot at contending. Yeah, my one negative would be every single time I feel like Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez lines up perfectly for an event, he, he finishes dead last. Yeah. Um, I've had that happen multiple times when betting him. But this is an interesting fact. So if I look at the last two years of events that have been played in Spain on the DP World Tour, there's a good amount of them. So of golfers who have played in at least four of them, or let's say, I guess if I stretch it out, um, five. Let's say at least five of these events because these guys tee it up. No, four. Four. We'll use four as a cutoff here. First, Adrian Otegui. So we're Spanish golfer there. Second, Yannick Paul. Interesting to our earlier article. Yep. Third, Angel Hidalgo. Okay. Again, to, to rank that high on a list like that was impressive where, where there's at least some type of a sample size, two, four events. Fourth, Alfredo Garcia Heredia. Another Spanish golfer with not that much business doing at the top of a list like that. And then you keep going down. Fifth would be Ryan Fox. Sixth, Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez. So we're going to four of the top six spots being taken by Spanish golfers. Three of those odds way down the board, right? Sebastian yeah. Garcia, like you mentioned. It just, it just fits the bill of 
you probably should think about having, you know, a home golfer uh, on your list because it just elevates their game. Like it's something that's really cool to see. And, and it's those that are thriving in those moments. It's, 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 you know, awesome for that. So I, I just, I think, um, there's just something hidden in the numbers that you can find uh, when, when you look at there, because golfers have definitely shown up uh, when it matters the most and, and they have a lot of people supporting them. And I think like further to that, like you say there's a lot of events for the Spaniards and not only that, they're, they're kind of the similar events. Like they are these resort events. So you look at his performances, Mallorca last year, already spoke about fifth place. Um, he was sixth at the Portugal Masters in 2020. It's not Spain, but it's neighbouring and it's a similar sort of event, right? Then you go to Tenerife Open 2021, he finishes eighth. Like, they're all the same sort of event. They're all the same sort of area of, of the of the um, world and all that sort of stuff. So even at the Andalusia Masters at Valderrama, it shouldn't really be suitable. He's played well there as well. So Catalonia Championship, all his best finishes, if you look in, you know, you can go down to 50 performances on the world ranking sites now, which is, is probably too many, right? But a lot of them are Spain. Like, he's got a second-place finish at the Open d'Espagne, um, which is his best finish on the Challenge Tour, three-time win on the Alps Tour, but otherwise he hasn't really broken through. So there's definitely a concern that he won't break through, um, but I, I think for a top five, and definitely for DraftKings, I think Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez makes a lot of sense. I'm there. Let's pick up a little pace here as we close out for, I guess, close out still um, long shots. I got three selections left. Uh, yep. Each of us are on one of those guys. So I'll let you talk. I'm a golfer who we really need the putter to show up uh, for, for this week. But uh, if I go into my final two selections, first one for me would be, and it looks like, um, uh, Still triple digits in one book here, stateside. Alex Alex Fitzpatrick. I'm going back to the well. Um, I just, we don't know what he is. What he has been is pretty darn good Good. for for still getting to have, you know, 100 to 1 on this golfer. I mean, last week, you know, we saw him exceptional with the irons. Did not putt it very well. I mean, lost, I think, over like four strokes uh, putting, you know, there. T37 blows his brother out of the water. Hmm. It was... uh, it was almost a little difficult. I felt even with him and Norman not to see them push on a little bit because there was definitely times they were inside the top 20 with opportunity. I, I think Alex Fitzpatrick can break through in a huge way and he doesn't have status anywhere next year, right? He's kind of in this no man's land. He's yeah. one of a perfect example, win or go to Q school. Like that is what he's going to have to do. He's going to get sponsor invites. He, maybe he's going to be okay. But yeah, yeah. you know, for, for somebody in that position, you are motivated to play well and to win. So I think Alex Fitzpatrick is one for me. Second golfer that I'll be going uh, into. And another one that I've kind of had my eyes on uh, for a good amount of time. It just feels odd um, just to see him play as well as he has. Um, is Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson, 130 to 1. Um, and Andrew Wilson is just somebody, if you look at kind of recent form, 11th last week at Valderrama. He first popped on the radar when he was 16th at the Italian Open, followed up by 26th at the Kazoo Open. Best finish of the year for him, where is it at? In Spain. Best finish, I believe, last year um, for him. Let me see, because he ranks um, high on this list. Last finish, oh, no, I guess that was um, the, the, he's played four times in Spain this year. 11th in the seventh place, you know, like those are literally the best finishes he has had all year long. Um, and that's somebody who I kind of like that and his game. I don't really know, you know, all that much about him. He's, he's better than field average and distance for sure. Um, has gotten hot with the putter over the last stretch. We've talked about that skill set being something you like 
130 to one. He had a really, really, really good end of the year last year um, on, on the challenge tour. Like he had a sneaky strong season on the challenge tour without a win. Um, and that's enough for me to know that Kai, the, the kid can play. Uh, I guess I say kid, he's up to 28 years old now, but I think he's a strong bet at 130 to one uh, with upside there. So that, that does it for my cart outside of who we're on together. Um, if you want to run through your final selections. Um, yeah, just a, just a couple of quick words just before we just yeah. move on. Like, I think like Alex Fitzpatrick is top six in both approach and tee to green over the last two months, which is basically when he's been playing. So that's just huge, right? And I think, I think to your point, like he need he does need to win. I think he knows he's going to get a sponsor's invite, so the pressure's not the same. But he also wants yeah. to prove himself, right? So that's that's key. When you talk about Andrew Wilson, those being his peak performances, um, you know, like this season, they're the peak performances of his career, right? You know, you look at yeah. he was third at the Open to Portugal. Again, Portugal not too far away from Spain. ISPS hand the seventh. Uh, he finished thirty second at the Open Championship, which was nice in twenty nineteen, but. Uh, third at the Importer Challenge on the Challenge Tour, which I think is Spain as well. 11th at Andy Lucia Masters. Um, again, I just like the fact that he's done it on both kind of, you know, resort and tough golf courses as well. It gives you that kind of variety there. Um, he was a good, he was a good amateur too. Looking through yeah. those numbers, like he was a strong amateur. Yeah, so I think I think maybe he's just one of those people that it takes a long time to figure it out, and and now he has right, and, and we'll just see where he goes from here. Yeah. Um, so to me, Renato Paratore, the, the reason I'm going back to him, um, I, I just feel that when you've got a course that you don't know too much about, when you've got a field strength like this, it's good to lean on someone that's had a couple of wins. And and that's, you know, Paratore ticks that box. So he isn't quite in the same form that he was in when he was third at the Kazoo and fourth at the ISPS Handa, which obviously was in Spain. But he has finished 13th and 32nd in back-to-back starts in Spain. And I just think he can find it. Like, I know... His driver hasn't been great, and maybe distance is going to affect him here. But it's wide open. There should be a bit more confidence um, in his swing, and I just think 100 to one Renato Paratore makes um, you know a ton of sense considering he's in decent form and you know is a winner. So I like that. And then we'll obviously go into uh, our final yeah. section, who is uh, Maverick Aincliffe, which. This is a guy, I seem to remember us talking about him a lot um, at the start of this kind of pop-up, way back, like at the very beginning, because it was kind of him and Sean Crocker that were kind of filling those strokes gain approach numbers out. And yep. that's what Aincliffe is doing again, right? He's been, I know that it's kind of skewed at the Dunhill links, but if you if you take that in, he's been 4th, four, 4th and 2nd in strokes gain approach and 9th, 15th and 1st in T to green over the last three weeks. So eventually that has to that has to catch up. And I say that knowing that he's probably worse at putting than me and you, Sky. Um, last week was his first <laughs> gone. Like no, I was going to say, but but he's he's two hundred to one. Like that's he the is. thing, right? Yeah. Like, does he deserve to be that price with how good that's trending? I, I'm going to take that risk every day, and you, you pray he closes his eyes and that goes in. Yeah, like a lot. He needs to put him in a lot, but yes, we do. But I think the fact that so he was twenty first last week, and that was his first top twenty five since last year's Porsche European Open, and he's now playing in Spain again, which I think is is a huge factor. Like he finished second at the Canary Islands last year, and although he was only sixty third at the Catalonia Championship this year, he was ninth at the halfway stage. And to be you know top four in strokes going approach over the last three weeks and top fifteen in each of the past three weeks in T to green, like that's just huge. Eventually he's going to putt. Uh, he's a three-time winner on the China Tour in 2019, which is how he got here. Um, can he win? Probably not. Like the putter's probably going to stop him winning, but I certainly think he can 
top 10, top 15. And, and you know, those bets are going to be quite nice and definitely for DraftKings lineups as well. So I will take a chance that for some reason he just works out the putter. I think if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be in Spain because that's where he's played pretty good stuff. So, yeah. I totally agree. I'm excited. 200 to one. When you look at those numbers, when you always run the ball striking and you see that, and it's a uh, over time, it's not just a one week or one round flash, right? It's, it's been consistency and he's been somebody who's strung those approach weeks together in the past. Um, so I do like that a lot. All right. Let's uh, make sure we plug for the audio listeners. If you've gotten this far and, and you watch this on YouTube, we do appreciate it. If you're somebody who watches on the commute, we've kind of gotten a little bit of Tuesday routine. I don't know if we're going to close up the year that way. Um, I kind of like a little bit more information too. It's been helpful. Um, kind of a research and would like it a little busy. Uh, but if you are also having life getting busy on your end and you're more of an audio listener uh, in the car, whatever it may be, you can find us on all of the different platforms, daily, daily fantasy sports picks and bets, the mix Mayo media network. We go a long way for the support um, rate review, subscribe five stars, love comments. Always. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, continuing with us as we get into the final stretch of the year. Um, and with that, Tom, you mind reviewing your card here as we close out. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So Andy Sullivan for me at 30 to 1, Nikolai Hoygaard at 35 to 1. I do really like a lot of the things you said about Louis Diego. You've kind of opened my eyes a little bit on him. Um, not sure I'm going to go there because I've got a pretty loaded card, but definitely add uh, it to yours. Garcia Rodriguez at 70 to 1, Renato Paratore at 100 to 1, and Maverick Ancliffe at 200 to 1, hoping he can putt. Yes. Amen to that last statement. Nikolai Hoygaard, 35 to 1 for me. Louis Dieger, 50 to 1. Darius Van Driel, 66 to 1. Alex Fitzpatrick is, uh, I think you saw, yep, I said a 100 to 1 available there. Andrew Wilson, 130 to 1. And then with you, Maverick Ancliffe, 200 to 1. Tom, we, let's, let's close out the Spanish stretch with a W. You know, we've been close. We've been all over it, all over it. Uh, it's time to close this year strong. Um, and then we have some fun events to, to finish it up. But what do you think? Yeah, I think we should win. This is just the best way to go about it, right? I mean, that's probably what these golfers should do. Like, they're, they're looking for yeah. a car. Just win. It's just easier. Yeah. Like, just putt better. It's, you know, it's pretty simple. Yep. Amen to that. Thank you all again for your support. We appreciate it. We'll catch you next week.